The first reading for this third Sunday of Easter comes from Acts chapter 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the epistle reading comes from Peter's first letter to the Christians. Chapter 1. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all the, its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, 
and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, inter he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Maybe see Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning, but I have to ask you, why are you here? Why have any of us come here? Why in our homes on Sunday morning are we all getting ready getting into our vehicles, driving some of us farther than others to this place to gather together as we have this morning. Now I'm sure you could give me several reasons why you're here today, but I would venture to say that at the root of it, at the very heart of it, the first and foremost reason that you are here is because you are convinced that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that he came alive again on that Easter morning. The History Channel has an article on the internet titled, Six Historical Figures Who May or May Not Have Existed. And among those six are King Arthur, <coughs> Pythagoras, John Henry of railroad fame, Homer, and Robin Hood. And it lists various reasons why, mostly to do with the idea that there's no contemporary information about them, no information from their time period, that their name, the legend, whatever, doesn't appear until quite a while afterwards, several hundred years or more in some cases. Now I said six 
names, six historical figures. I only named five. The sixth one is named Lycurgus. But because I've never heard of him before, I'm sure he did not exist. <laughs> had Christ not risen from the dead, had his body remained in that tomb, I would say the Gospels would not have been written. I would say the following that Jesus had would have come to nothing. At best, maybe we'd have a few of his wise sayings. Maybe his encouragement to love one another. In that case, the History Channel would have to change their title to seven historical figures who may or may not have existed. But we are met here today because we are absolutely convinced that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Christ's resurrection from the dead is no myth. It is not a legend. It is a fact. A great number of people staked their lives, risked their lives, gave their lives, professing that they saw the risen Christ, that they touched him, that they spoke with him, that they walked with him, talked with him, and ate with him after he had risen from the dead. The Bible tells us, the scriptures say that he appeared to many people over 40 days after he had risen, before he ascended into heaven, and that he offered convincing proofs, many convincing proofs, that he was indeed alive again. The evangelist Luke, the good doctor, um, interviewed many witnesses, talked to a lot of people, detailed Jesus' life, put his gospel together as a witness. He also spent a good deal of time with the Apostle Paul, who had been formerly an enemy of the way, an enemy of Christ, but who had a blinding encounter with the risen Lord as Paul traveled to Damascus. And then Paul later went to his death, years later, professing that Jesus Christ was alive proclaiming the indisputable, incontrovertible, uncontestable, and unshakable fact that Jesus was alive, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And Luke records for us one of the encounters with the risen Christ that some of his disciples, we call them disciples, but we don't mean one of the eleven. We mean followers of Jesus. Two of these followers, two of these disciples, as they are traveling that first Easter day on their way to the little town, the little village of Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. What a wonderful encounter, what a wonderful record this is. Their eyes, Luke says, are kept from recognizing Jesus. In talking about the events of the past few days with this stranger that joins them as they walk along. These two say, we thought he was the Christ who was to redeem Israel. 
Some of our women even came from the tomb saying they'd seen a vision of angels who told them that he was alive. A, a vision of angel, maybe a dream, maybe they wished it to be so. We don't know. It's a little unbelievable. And Jesus then responds and says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, and so that means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible are the books that Moses wrote. So beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We might imagine what those scriptures were. Maybe he started at the beginning. Maybe he started with Adam and Eve and the, the proto-evangelical, the first gospel proclamation in Genesis that a son, a, an offspring would be born to Eve who would come and crush Satan's head, crush that serpent's head. I'm sure he mentioned the killing of the Passover lamb and the blood that was put on the doorposts and the lintels, the blood that prefigured the blood of Christ, the blood that would turn God's wrath away from us. The water from the rock in the desert as the Israelites traveled to the promised land, the water that came from the rock, the bread the manna that came down from heaven that gave life to Israel as they wandered in the desert. Jonah in the heart of the sea in the belly of the great fish for three days and then resurrection. The tabernacle and the temple, the sacrifices that, prefig <coughs> <Excuse me. coughs> that prefigure his own ultimate sacrifice for sin. The high priest who on the Day of Atonement would carry the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, sprinkle that blood there on the mercy seat so that God would be merciful to the people, again prefiguring what Christ would do with his own precious blood. Psalm 22 that we like to read on Maundy Thursday as we strip the altar, the psalm that speaks so vividly of crucifixion. Psalm 16 that said that God would not allow his Holy One to see decay, to be cut off. Daniel who sees a vision of one like a son of man who, to whom is given glory and honor and a kingdom that is everlasting. Isaiah who says it was the Lord's will to crush his suffering servant, that by his stripes we are healed, that God is the one who put him to grief, that when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, that after he makes that offering, he will still live and see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We could go on and on, I'm sure. And I, as pastors, we wish that we had a list of all of the 
passages that Jesus expounded to those two. We wish that we could have been there. There was some recording that there was a, you know, a something flying along there recording that conversation. Jesus himself said to the Jews who were trying to get rid of him, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. And it is they that bear witness about me. In the Nicene Creed, we confess that Jesus was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. And I'm sure I've mentioned it before but uh, it doesn't mean at least that's what the scriptures say. You know, if you're going to use the scriptures as your theological base then yeah, they say that Jesus rose from the dead. If you're going to use something else, well, maybe he didn't. That's not what they mean. And I've shared with you before, I'm sure, that growing up, that's what I thought it meant. At least that's what the scriptures say. He rose from the dead, at least that's what the scriptures say. But that's not what we're confessing there. We are confessing that Jesus rose in congruity with the scriptures, in accord with, in agreement with the scriptures. And what scriptures are those? What are we talking about? Is it the four gospels, the writers of whom all agree that Jesus suffered and died and was buried and rose from the dead? That's true, but these are not the scriptures that the Nicene Creed is talking about. These are not the scriptures that Jesus is expounding to these disciples. According to the scriptures is referring to the spirit-inspired word of God that predicted that Christ would suffer, that he would be killed, that he would not be held in the bonds of death, he would not remain in the grave, that the grave itself would not have victory over him, that his offspring would not be cut off, that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. The scriptures that Jesus is talking about are the writings of Moses and the prophets. And that's what we mean in the Nicene Creed when we say we believe that he rose from the dead, we mean in accordance with the prophecies, in accordance with the scriptures. And these are the same scriptures that the crucified and the now risen from the dead Savior are expounding to, to these two dejected, disbelieving, spiritually blind, and incredibly blessed disciples as they walked along with their risen and alive again Savior toward the village of Emmaus. And this takes place on that first Sunday, as I mentioned, the first Easter Sunday, as Jesus had just risen from the dead. It is the first day of the week. It is the eighth day, if we want to look at it that way, the day of new creation. God made the world in six days. He did it all. 
He finished on that sixth day, and he proclaimed it to be very good. And here, in this season, we have just found the Paschal Lamb of God, the Christ, on the cross, doing his work, doing his work to make a new creation, doing his work to give us life and rebirth, to forgive us our sins by his blood. And on that sixth day, that's when Jesus died, on the sixth day, on Friday, Jesus said, it is finished. Just like God said, it is finished. And I believe that God in heaven, watching his son die, having abandoned him on the cross, having poured out his wrath on his son, said, as he did in the beginning, it is good. It is very good. And we know that on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested from all of his labors, and so does Jesus. He rests in the tomb on that seventh day. And here the creation story ends in Genesis, if you read it. That's as far as it goes. But there's more to creation. There's an eighth day coming, and it comes with Christ. God will manifest his love to his creatures, to the sinful, fallen creatures who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who are in the darkness, who are in the kingdom of Satan. God has more for them, more new creation. God's Christ comes to bring healing and redemption, to bring that new creation, to bring new birth in the spirit for sinful man who was dead, who was languishing in darkness until the eighth day came, until Jesus, the Lamb of God who was sacrificed to take away the sin of the world, rose from the grave on that eighth day, that day of new creation. Many of the baptismal fonts in a church will be an eight-sided font. And that's referencing not only the eight souls that were saved in the flood, but it's referencing the eighth day of new birth, new creation. Peter writes in our epistle lesson today that we were ransomed from the feudal ways, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In your baptism, you have been born again. You are a new creature, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are an eighth day creation. I think it's interesting, too, that these two on the road are kept from recognizing Jesus. He's right there with them, but they don't see him. They don't recognize him. His glory remains hidden. You think about Jesus being seen in the garden by Mary. She thinks he's the gardener, right? When he appears uh, in the upper room, 
He's not glowing and light shining from him like he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think if you look uh, at the images of Jesus' resurrection on the internet, that's what you'll see. You'll see him shining because they're trying to depict his glory and holiness. But it wasn't like that for these disciples. In the 40 days that Jesus appeared to the disciples and did different things with them, he wasn't shining in glory like that. He still had not ascended to his father. He looked just like a man. And so they don't recognize who this is. His glory remains hidden. And in this, we are Emmaus road travelers too. Because Jesus is not with us in that way today. He is certainly with us. His promise is that he is here with us today where two or three are gathered in his name. But we don't see him with our eyes. We see him with eyes of faith, right? But we don't see him with our eyes. And yet he is not with us in some fairy tale way. He is really here, present among us. But the Holy Spirit reveals him to us, reveals Christ to us in the Word. In the Word, we encounter him. In the sacrament, we encounter him in a different way, in a more physical way. Just as Jesus expounded the scriptures to these two disciples on this road, and then also shared the meal with him, broke the bread with him, and in that they, they see who it is. They recognize him. Their eyes are opened. So we too encounter Jesus. We see Jesus. We find him in his word, in the word preached to you today in the word that you read, and in the supper that you partake of. He comes to you in a very real way, bringing gifts, bringing faith and forgiveness. One day we will see him with our physical eyes. And on that last day, we're told in Revelation, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And we will stand on the earth with Job, Imagine that with Job, who says, I will see him in my flesh. I know that I will see my Redeemer in the flesh. And we will see him too in our resurrected flesh. We will see him. But although we cannot see him here today, we can hear him. We do hear him as he speaks to us in the preaching, in the scriptures, in his words that he says are spirit and life, we hear him. We hear him in the word of absolution that through me, through the pastor, says your sins are forgiven. And we encounter him not at that supper table on the road to Emmaus, but in this Lord's Supper that he gives to us, where he gives his body for us to eat, his blood for us to drink, for the forgiveness of our sins. So we see that Christ does go with us on this road. He does walk with us. He talks to us in his word on the way. He comes to us in the breaking of the bread. And we come together here each first day of the week, each Lord's Day, to celebrate that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.